Hey everyone, this is Brandon Shields, and today is Thursday, May 14th, 2020. I'm joined on our podcast today by Deb Dunlevy, James Piscasio, and Dante Cook, who lead in various ways in our family of churches scattered across the city of Indianapolis. And guys, it's been a really heavy few weeks for our country in terms of racism and racial violence flaring up against African Americans specifically. And just a week ago, to recap some of these things, somebody walked into a store in California wearing a KKK mask or hood as a COVID mask. Then we watch in horror last week as the Ahmad Arbery video surfaces two months after this incident where a white father and son essentially chase him down while he's jogging uh, through his neighborhood and they murder him right in the street. And then last week here in Indianapolis, we saw Drejan Reed, uh, a young man, uh, 21 years old, who was shot and killed by a police officer while on Facebook Live. And this happened, Deb, right in your neighborhood on the northwest side, about two miles from where I live, James and I live. Um, and so it's just so much that's going on, so emotional, so many feelings, so many thoughts, so much. There's protests every day happening here uh, in Indianapolis. And I know this has really impacted all of you in different ways. And so I'd love to just start with James, you and Dante, just walk us through like what it's been like to live in your in your shoes. Uh, what have you been feeling? What's it like to be inside of your head and heart uh, this past week, specifically as you saw that video of Ahmad's murder come out? Like what conversations are you guys having in your family? What kinds of things are you thinking? I know Dante immediately you posted something really powerful on Twitter that was just a real raw display of like how this was uh, just psychologically and spiritually hitting you. I'd love just to know, just for you to share a little bit about kind of how this has hit you and your families the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I'll go first. Um, I mean, it's it's hard now. Even uh, a week later, you know, I, I keep I'm getting like a little emotional uh, here talking about it. And I think how it struck me a week ago, um, you know, I, I just went out back and I was actually about to go on a run when I kind of you know looked at my Twitter and saw everything going on and. I remember processing processing it in the moment. Trevor and Hillary, they our next door neighbors, uh, are also part of the Soma family in, in, in our community. And I just remember crying and weeping to them and processing it with them as I was about to go on a run. And all of the other things that have happened relating to social injustice and African Americans being murdered unjustly in America. I don't think anything has hit me in a particular way that aroused so many fears and anxieties and just, you know, pre-programmed responses to why I don't run at night. And, you know, that could be me uh, literally about to go on a run. And the thing that's so scary for me um, and that I was processing in the moment and still am is that there's no context around me when I run. Um, you know, I'm a former football player and still about 225 pounds. And so when I'm running down the Monon or when I'm downtown, uh, I'm just a 225-pound black man that's running, you know, somewhat fast or somewhat aggressively. And, you know, there's no context that I have three kids or, 
am involved in my community or coach a high school football team or went to a, a university and, and graduated, you know, uh, there's no context around me other than whatever context someone will put in place on you as to what you might be doing or as to what kind of person you are, what kind of character you have. And so, it, I mean, for me, it, of all of the things that have happened in the Black Lives Matter movement or social injustice in the country, I think a man going on a run in their neighborhood opens up a whole new spectrum of fear and anxiety and things uh, as a black man uh, that I just don't think I had actually processed uh, until last week. Mm. Yeah, you know, Dante said something there, the, the no context around just moving. And I think that's why it's stirred up um, in moments like this. Um, and, and even when people have reached out to me and trying to, like, understand why this is a big deal or why people go uh, to, to fear, it's like, hey, because um, – the the general you, I'm not saying you, but like the general y'all don't understand there there's an inherent level of context that has been fostered for four hundred years of looking at black bodies as unsafe. Um and it and last week when the uh uh San Diego uh happened with the guy showing up with the KKK mask, uh one of uh uh one of my brothers in Christ reached out and he was like, Hey man, did did you see this? And his question to me was, you know, what what are we supposed to do if something like that happens in Indianapolis, right? And and what I said is, like, I, I wouldn't do anything. And the whole reason is because I don't trust the system behind me, you know, that, that would help in that, that space. It's like, yeah, we, we confront that guy. We try to, to talk about, hey, do, do you understand what this means? Um, that turns into an altercation, and then it's seen it's seen as I'm being the aggressor. You know what I mean? And and um, that was the beginning of the week. So when we got to uh, uh, Sean Reed's uh, killing, like it was already pent up all of these mm-hmm. things to where that morning, having conversations with my wife Allison, um, and and just feeling like, hey man, we we can't do this. Like we we can't. We can't. I I physically cannot have this conversation with folks uh, of why this is a big deal. Like um, just feeling the the sense of, hey man, we despair. You know, we we can't move uh, around the city, can't move around this country um, without having to worry about this. I I went to Butler. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are, are white. We you know we go to a predominantly white church. Uh, my wife is white. Um, like like Dante said, none of that matters when I'm walking around my neighborhood. Um, no, nobody sees that context. And 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 lastly, like it's it's gotten to the point to where just letting you guys in, like you know, somebody comes to our door. I don't I don't like opening my door. You know, what I mean? and and it, it might sound weird, but it's it, hey, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. So so it, that's the real ways in which like these these moments um, uh, really hit and impact me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I think, you know, I was listening to Brian Loritz, uh, an African-American pastor in California who's written a lot on uh, race and ethnicity and, and, and what justice looks like for the church. And he said, there's multiple layers of communication that we need to be able to engage in both as a society and specifically as the church. And he said, we tend to talk more 
at levels one, two, and three and the levels of cliche and objective facts and data. But he said, really, the church has to learn to step into the space of being able to communicate at level four and five, which is more heart to heart, like what you see in the Psalms when people are just expressing this raw emotion and lamenting. And I think that people, some people want to rush to, and I've seen this, like people sharing stuff on Facebook, like, well, here's the facts of this case, or here's what actually happened, or did you know this person was walking through a construction site, or did you know that, well, you know, like just, it, it's, it's totally at the level of facts, especially for a lot of white people. And there's, I think underneath this so much, so many layers of just sadness and anger that have built up. And it's not just this one event. I mean, watching Drejan uh, Reed's mother, uh, you know, yesterday talking about her son. I mean, it's just, it is such at the level of the visceral heart and soul of lament and how people are feeling. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to those things and make sure that our first movement is not to go looking for the facts, but which are not unimportant, but like what what's happening at the human level and how is that impacting our friends and neighbors and loved ones of different cultural backgrounds? And Deb, you guys, you and Nate had an opportunity last week and some other leaders from Southern West to actually go and be a part of some of those protests for Drejan Reed right there in your neighborhood. I mean, right at, you know, around 62nd and Michigan Road. Um, why did you guys choose to do that? And what was it like being there? And it was, it was intense. I was talking to Nate about it. It was very intense uh, as a white couple standing in solidarity with hurting African Americans in your neighborhood. Like, why did you guys choose to do that? And and what did you uh, describe that experience for me? Yeah, um, what you're saying about engaging with this really at the heart level, at the at the visceral emotional level, is really is really the answer to what you're asking. When a friend called us and let us know on Wednesday evening that the shooting had taken place and that there was a Facebook Live video, we watched that, um, and it's completely heart-wrenching. <laughs> um, and this is what you're saying. In that moment, we didn't know all the facts yet. All the facts were not clear. Um, but the things that were clear is that there was a black brother in our neighborhood who was dead and that it, our whole community had actually witnessed his death. <laughs> um, and that is a heart-wrenching reality, no matter what other facts come out at any point. And, um, yeah, it is literally blocks from my house. It happened right behind my local library. And... Um, so our choice to go down there that same night um, began in that place, just in a place of um, wanting to to be there, to own in that moment, not even knowing for sure. A, a, the choice wasn't so much to participate in a protest as to um, be there to participate in a in a moment of loss and to own that that while that loss is owned in a particular way by the African-American community. Their their pain is our pain. <laughs> These are our neighbors and our loved ones. And um, that, was, that was the driving force behind our going down there. And when it was clear that there were people there uh, protesting, um, although, again, on that first night, it was less a protest and more just an, an outcry of anguish, honestly, um, 
when it was clear there were people there and and police um, had roped off the area and whatever, we decided to stop and stay to bear witness to that, really. Um, and I, standing there, it was very, it was very hard to be there in the, in that emotional sense of grief. It was hard to be there and own the fact that I, as a white woman, in a very volatile and charged situation, didn't feel afraid because I, my presence there feels like a restraining force, <laughs> um, which is also a hard reality to grasp the inequity that is inherent in my saying that. <laughs> um, and uh, just to stand there and watch as the evening passed and there was no violence there was a lot of anger and a lot of grief, but there was no violence. And yet the the separate lines that were being drawn up, the escalation was clear and, and the racial lines were clear. And that, um, that just felt like a moment for the kingdom of God to be something different. <laughs> mm. Our system has led us to a place in which there was a line where I was standing by the end of that night of perhaps 35 police officers, um, all but one or two white men, and a line (laughs) of African-American people on the other side full of grief and fear and anger. And that's where society has brought us. Where the kingdom of God was in the middle of that was a handful of people, both black and white, praying together (laughs) right in the middle of that Mm -hmm. and that that felt that reality just felt so visible and clear in that moment Mm. wow that's powerful i know nate said at one point like literally the crowd drew back and it was like you guys standing in that gap just praying and kind of holding kingdom ground there which is a really powerful image in my mind to think about Christ being present there in, in his body represented through you guys, uh, mediating, you know, um, both lament and also a, a hopefulness for something different in the future. I, I think, you know, a lot of people feel in this moment, I think at Soma, this is the first time that we've stepped into spaces to pray or to show up, um, to try to advocate. I mean, we, we talked, we've, we've talked about this and we've worked for this for years in trying to think about as a predominantly white church, how do we um, how do we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters across different cultures and backgrounds? Um, but I think there's always this sense of like paralysis, you know. I think that can come in of like, okay, now I, I know this is wrong, and I know that this isn't. These are injustices. These are this is not the way that God the world. This is not the world that as God designed it to be. Um, and yet, what do I do? Like, how do I move towards uh, my brothers and sisters? How do I? How do I work for justice and reconciliation in ways that are actually helpful? You know, like that we know that book, When Helping Hurts, sometimes our best attempts really end up uh, hurting rather than helping those that we seek to to advocate for. I'm curious, and I'll maybe start with you, Deb, and work back to the guys. Like, I know the, the next day you had the opportunity to gather in missional community and to lament with uh, African-American brothers and sisters, and it was a powerful experience. Like, what kinds of responses have been encouraging to you um, and helpful 
with you and the people that you're leading and maybe or what's not been helpful? You just like how can people be helpful in this moment? How can they not be helpful? And what's that look like for y'all in your communities? Um, I I think the guys probably have a lot more to say to this than I do, but I will just say that my experience so far has been that the that truly meeting on that on that heart empathy level is where it's at. The parsing of these details of what happens begins to go down the trail of feeling dehumanizing. Um, James mentioned this 400-year history, and the the truth is nothing that happens is happening outside of that context. That context is there, and the pain and the fear and the assumptions and all of the things are there. And so... We've just, I mean, I have the same helpless feeling in the face of this grief that I have had in the face of other major griefs throughout my lifetime. And that is, I, it feels like there's nothing to do, but being present and sharing in, in grief and fear and owning that together is, is not without value. And so far, that's the thing that has been expressed to me as being the most valuable. I think there are actions we take, there, there are ways we speak up, there are, there are things we do, and without those actions, words are meaningless. But I, I also think that it's easy, as you said, to feel like it's too big for me to fix, and that just needs to not be a reason to avoid showing up and being involved. <laughs> um, sometimes just being there is the first step and it also creates the opportunities then for next steps to happen. So, Yeah. Dante, James, what about you guys? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go. Um, the part of things to not do, the first, just piggybacking off of that, is don't, don't stay in ignorance. Right when when somebody uh, likens uh, a mod situation to a modern day lynching, and if you hear that and you're like, I don't know what that means, go find out what happened in Georgia. We talk about 400 years, you know, go find out what happened. Um, the, the internet exists, right? All of that's that's documented. Um, a couple of books that I would recommend: uh, Color of Compromise uh, by Jamar Tisby goes through uh, the church's complicity and compromise of racism throughout the history of America that uh, he does a great job going through just all the things that, that happened to get us to today, um, you know, without without spending 600 pages doing it. Uh, it's a book by Isabel Wilkerson called The Warmth of Other Suns. It talks about the great migration from the South. So people are fleeing the Jim Crow South to um, get to places where they thought there would be, you know, a, a more more justice or more freedom only to be faced with some of the same realities, just it, it looking differently. Um, and, and lastly, One Blood by, by John Perkins, who, who does a great job, of, again, talking about this within the context of the church and our response as Christians to bear the burdens of this, to lament, um, but, but then to let uh, healing and reconciliation take place. I mean, if you, you do the work in, in those, those three books, pick up the Bible um, and just pray and saturate yourself. Like that beats back the ignorance. So when you hear these things, you see these things, you know, it, it hits differently. It, it should feel differently. Um, and to that end, like would commend people to pray to, to bear the burdens 
of their brothers and sisters, right? Just just by the, the sheer fact of knowledge that you have brothers and sisters that are, are heavy with this, um, pray to, to bear those burdens as, as brothers and sisters. And uh, lastly, to lament in the midst of lament. It's it's not uh, lost in us that, you know, we're all feeling uh, some sort of way about the pandemic and what's happening. Um, and we all lament just all of that that's happening for, for people on the front lines and, and healthcare and things like that. Um, however, um, we can lament in the midst of lament, right? And we can pray and we, we can still see these things as injustices, just like we see loss through disease as injustice, just as we see, um, you know, people uh, losing jobs and, and families struggling. Like, this is an injustice. Um, and, and we can lament together for this and create space for this. Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with, with James about educating yourself, about trying to understand um, the perspective of um, black Americans uh, in this country and, and how uh, we've arrived at uh, the sort of uh, state um, mentally and uh, physically and emotionally towards power structures or other things uh, in our family. Uh, and it's not that we go to class and that we learn it. It's it's passed down. It's it's rooted. It's real. It's things that my grandmother went through, that my great-grandmother went through, that have passed to my dad. And here's how you interact with police officers. Here's what you do when you stop or get pulled over. Here are the things that happen that are just sort of social norms that are taught, spoken, passed down, um, that are kind of natural and innate to us. And so I would just say, try as, as best as you can, um, you know, for my brothers and sisters in Christ that maybe aren't African-American and black to maybe uh, try to understand how we feel uh, into Deb's comment about lingering, about being present, about being with people, I mean, that is probably the best thing that you can do, not trying to understand people. I would say specifically now, um, not trying to force conversations or have people try to verbalize what they're feeling because it's going to probably be more visceral and less constructive um, in, in this moment in time, just given the the, the the quickness and speed surrounding these uh, events. And, you know, the last thing that I would tell uh, people, uh, this, specifically Ahmaud Arbery, has a unique opportunity um, to allow people to truly empathize in a way that they maybe have never had before. This isn't a Trayvon Martin situation where you know, what if you, I don't wear hoodies or I'm not out late at night or I'm not at convenience stores or I'm not in these types of situations. Okay. Uh, but we can all empathize on going for a run. And, you know, one of the things that Christ talks about is picking up your cross, bearing your cross daily. There is a physical element to bearing a cross, to wearing a cross and one of these concepts that I've been thinking about and one thing that I've actually done is go for a run with your hands up in the air. Take a jog and run with your hands up. And not only are you going to experience the pain 
of what that feels like, the physical pain. But I think for once, maybe, just maybe, you might empathize with a person that's trying to say, I have nothing to hide, I have nothing to show, I'm vulnerable, I'm not doing anything that I'm not supposed to be doing. But just to feel the physical pain that an African man, African American man or woman might go through when they go on a run. And so I would just encourage you, it's very simple, um, and it's not just a one-time run or a one-time event. Do it with your family. Do it with other people. Go for a run and just try running around your block with your hands up and say, man, this is something about my life and how I've experienced life that I've never had to experience. This is an emotion that I've never had to wrestle with or to deal with. And hopefully, maybe in just a small way, it might help you to empathize or to bear that cross or maybe try to understand with a person of color or someone else who's faced injustice as to what it feels like to be vulnerable, to be in pain, and to uh, walk and run in fear. And so those are the, the things that I would probably think about. Mm. Man, so good. You guys, this is so helpful. There's so much here that I feel like we could just we could sit here for hours and continue to unpack and and wrestle with these tensions that we're living in. Um, but I think the thing that just comes to my mind is just like how much we need grace and how much we need the power and the presence of God to enter in and to both to comfort us, but also, I mean, as we've been teaching through this series in the book of Acts, uh, in, on the Holy Spirit and looking at the book of Acts and like how the Spirit filled the church and, and equipped the church with power to move out and to be uh, agents of transformation in, in both uh, within the kind of the walls of the church, so to speak, but also out in society. And I think now, man, we just, we need that power. We need the presence of God to give us wisdom um, to give us courage and to, bear, as, as Deb said, I think just to bear witness to the kingdom of God in these very difficult spaces. And so I would love to just invite Deb right now, if you would just pray over us and pray for our church. I know a lot of people are eager to engage, um, but also not really sure what that looks like. And, that, and we just need to listen to the spirit and we need to contend for the renewing power of the spirit to come and do something that we cannot do individually in our own strength, but only can do collectively as the Spirit-filled uh, people of God. So, Deb, would you mind just praying for us and praying over our church and praying for our city in the days to come that God would God give us the knowledge and the boldness to do what he's called us to do as his people? Yeah. Father, we come before you, and our hearts are broken, and we feel heavy, our world feels heavy right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the ongoing history and tension and fear and sadness that's represented by the events of the last week, Lord. Our hearts are just heavy and we just cry out to you and we ask God that you would make your presence felt. We ask that your kingdom would come in us. And God, I want to pray today 
for the families and loved ones of Ahmad Arbery and Grace John uh, Reed. And I pray for all of the people who so strongly and clearly and rightly identify with those young men and with their lives and with their deaths. And Father, we ask for your spirit of comfort and peace. And we just ask that you would empower us as your church. Whatever our race and gender, whatever our economic status and background, whatever our culture, that you would empower us together to be your kingdom, to be bringers of peace, that you would be present with us as we mourn with those who mourn, Lord, and that you would show us a path towards living out your kingdom. And we ask that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we just pray for your justice and we pray for your peace. And we pray for your people to be beacons of that peace and that justice, no matter what happens around us, Lord. That your spirit would shine brightly through us, would empower us with wisdom would give us words to say as you've promised you would in any given moment, that your spirit would tell us what to say, that your spirit would guide us what to do, and that we would be unified as a body. And God, we praise you for the work that we know that you're doing. And we just leave ourselves in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us for the podcast. Soma people, uh, Soma friends, family, thank you guys for listening. I want to encourage you to tune in tomorrow. We'll have another podcast with Jamal Williams, who's a friend and pastor in Louisville, to uh, continue this conversation. And so grace and peace to you as you go throughout the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.